We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go, episode 199 of the Al Galdi podcast. Yes, one episode away are we from episode 200. It is Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. And yes, a lockout has begun in Major League Baseball. As the clock struck midnight, we got our first work stoppage in MLB since the infamous strike of 1994-1995. MLB and the MLB Players Association cannot stand each other right now. Everyone has been anticipating this lockout for months, and now the question is, for how long will the lockout last? If there is a good thing about the lockout, that good thing is that midnight on Wednesday night into Thursday morning did act as a deadline by which teams and players wanted to get free agent deals done. And so we had a ton of activity over the last few weeks, including the tanking Orioles getting a player. I got a kick out of this. The O's on Wednesday night reportedly agreed on a deal with starting pitcher Jordan Lyles, although the deal isn't official. That'll have to happen after the lockout, uh, whenever the lockout ends. Uh, Jordan Lyles for the Texas Rangers in the 2021 season, over 180 innings, had an ERA of 5 15. Uh, That's on brand for the Orioles. Uh, But how about this? He's getting a one-year, $7 million contract. That is the Orioles' largest free agent expenditure since Mike Elias was hired as executive vice president and general manager in November 2018. That, my friends, is called tanking. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe Angel, thank you very much. But anyway, hello and welcome to a Thursday installment 
of the Al Galdi podcast. There is no work stoppage in the NFL, which is a professional sports league that includes a team based in the Washington, D.C. area. That team is currently known as the Washington football team, and that team currently known as the Washington football team is in possession of the third wild card spot in the NFC. Uh, now, this team called the Washington football team has won three consecutive games to get to five and six and has a big game this Sunday afternoon at the six and five Las Vegas Raiders at 4.05. Next segment, I'll give you the latest on injuries for our team, the Washington football team, including a J.D. McKissick update and a now mysterious and perhaps concerning situation regarding Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, I'll also spend a good bit of time talking Taylor Heineke off comments from Heineke and Ron Rivera at their post-practice press conferences on Wednesday, including the extent to which Washington running the ball so much during the three-game winning streak is helping Heineke. Uh, Also, I'm going to spend some time with you on this installment of the podcast talking about Washington's offensive line coach, John Matsko. Uh, John Matsko is doing tremendous work Washington's offensive line, despite so many injuries, has been among the best offensive lines in the NFL this season. Heck, maybe the best offensive line in the NFL this season. Does Washington in John Matsko have its best offensive line coach since the legendary Joe Bugle? I will talk Wizards. Nice win for them on Wednesday night. A 115-107 win over the Minnesota Timberwolves at Capital One Arena. Montrez Harrell and Daniel Gafford were terrific. I will talk Maryland basketball and ugly loss for the Terrapins on Wednesday night. What was Len Bias night? A uh, 62-58 loss to Virginia Tech at Xfinity Center in College Park in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Among the items we'll get to during our Terps basketball segment, a former Maryland assistant criticizing Mark Turgid on Twitter on Wednesday night. Uh, You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Luke Archer on the Washington football team's offense in the 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Writes Luke, the offense in this game with Logan Thomas and a little bit of Curtis Samuel looked very efficient and every receiver got involved. The offensive line impressed me the most, down to the fourth string center, and yet the offensive line was setting up excellent blocks. You could tell that Taylor Heineke had a lot of time in the pocket when the Seahawks didn't blitz. I also think a big part of Antonio Gibson's amazing running game was because of the offensive line. Third down efficiency continued to be good. I think Scott Turner has gotten a lot better, but I do still question the run plays on second down. Thank you for the email, Luke. Uh, I wanted to address this. This has been a criticism of Scott Turner's play calling, that he calls running plays too often on second downs, especially on second and longs. But here are the numbers. Uh, I did some research on this. So Washington this season has run 61 second down offensive plays requiring at least seven yards for a first down in first halves of games. I'm only looking at first half plays because second half play calling is influenced by scores. So Washington this season has run 61 second and long plays in the first halves of games. And I'm defining second and long as second and seven or longer. 22 of those 61 plays have been runs by running backs. Uh, I'm not counting runs by Taylor Heineke because some, most, or even all of those runs, maybe scrambles, uh, which to me are passing plays. 
but 22 out of 61. That's probably more running plays than should be called on first half, second and sevens or longer. But I mean, that's not some insane rate, 22 out of 61. 22 out of 61 is 36%. And Washington running backs have averaged more than five yards per carry uh, on those runs. Email from Steven on the Washington football team. Now, Steven is not a fan of Scott Turner, but Steven also wrote this. Our next two games are against teams that will have had a Thursday night game the week before facing us. That's back-to-back weeks playing a team with an extra three days of rest and film watching. Yeah, so it's not just that Washington is getting screwed with this game at the Raiders this Sunday afternoon. It's that Washington is getting screwed with the game against the Dallas Cowboys the following Sunday afternoon because the Cowboys will play Thursday night at the New Orleans Saints. Now, at least Washington's game against the Cowboys is at FedEx Field. The situation for this Sunday really is ridiculous. Uh, A, Washington just played on Monday night. B, Washington has to fly nearly across the country to Las Vegas. And C, the Raiders haven't played a game since Thanksgiving. So a short week for Washington, a lengthy road trip for Washington, and an extra rested opponent for Washington. Uh, You know, I'm not big on whining and crying, but I mean, how did the NFL schedulers allow this to happen? Like, how is this fair that Washington has to face all of this for this Sunday at the Raiders? And then, as Stephen noted, Washington's next game, which is a huge game against the Cowboys, will be against an extra rested Cowboys team. Uh, That's bizarre to me. I I don't get that. Like, I know that you're not going to have a picture-perfect schedule. You're going to have some scheduling inequities. But that seems like a pretty significant one, what Washington is facing for this Sunday, and then in some ways is facing the following Sunday as well. If only Washington could take legal action for this scheduling impropriety. Uh, Well, the Washington football team has enough legal problems these days, but if Washington was to take up a legal fight on this, Washington would be wise to contact Paulson and Nace. Uh, Now, I'm not sure that Paulson and Nace would take this case, but you never know. Uh, The Nace is our big Washington football team fans, but Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that wins. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Why? Because Paulson and Nace has trial experience, which, believe it or not, is not something that every law firm has. You see, not all law firms focusing on medical malpractice, birth injuries, product liability, and other personal injury matters have trial experience. In fact, many law firms have no courtroom experience at all and look to settle such cases without ever presenting them to a jury. A client has limited options for reasonable settlement if he or she is represented by an attorney with limited trial experience. Paulson and Nace is different. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. 
Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right, the 5-6 and six Washington football team on Wednesday began the team's practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game at the 6-5 and five Las Vegas Raiders at 4.05. Short turnaround for Washington uh, Wednesday, of course, just two days after the 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Five Washington players did not practice on Wednesday. Three of the players were offensive players. J.D. McKissick, did not practice on Wednesday due to what we now know was a concussion that he suffered in the fourth quarter of the win over the Seahawks. And Washington's second and third string centers did not practice on Wednesday. Tyler Larson did not practice due to that knee injury that had him inactive on Monday night. And Wes Schweitzer did not practice due to the ankle injury that caused him to leave the game on Monday night. Two Washington defensive players did not practice on Wednesday. Landon Collins did not practice due to a foot injury that he suffered late in the fourth quarter of the win over the Seahawks. And Benjamin St. Juice did not practice due to a concussion. Uh, Presumably, he's still dealing with the effects of a concussion as opposed to having suffered another concussion, although maybe he did suffer another concussion. Uh, St. Juice has not played on a single defensive snap over the last two games, but he has played on special teams. He was inactive for the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10 due to a concussion. He also was inactive for the win at the Atlanta Falcons in Week 4 due to a concussion. So he would seem to have suffered at least two concussions this season, and maybe now three concussions. We just don't know Uh, Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon was asked if he could say what's going on with Benjamin St. Juice. No, not as far as the concussion protocol is concerned. All I can tell you as far as that one's concerned is that he's, he's in the protocol. All right. So there's some mystery with what's happening with Benjamin St. Juice right now. We certainly wish Benjamin St. Juice the best. Uh, Five Washington players were listed as being limited in practice on Wednesday. All of those players were offensive players. Curtis Samuel was limited due to his groin. Logan Thomas was limited due to his hamstring. Antonio Gibson was limited due to his shin. Brandon Sheriff was limited due to his knee. And Ricky Seals-Jones was limited due to the hip injury that has caused him to be inactive for each of the last two games. But the takeaway to me is that both Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas appear, and I stress that word appear, to have come out of Monday night okay. Uh, Curtis Samuel on Monday night returned from a five-game absence caused by the groin injury to end all groin injuries. Played for just the third time in 11 games this season. Samuel had one reception for nine yards on one target and one carry for four yards and playing on 24% of Washington's offensive snaps, a total of 20 snaps. Uh, Logan Thomas on Monday night returned from a six-game absence caused by a hamstring injury. Uh, He had three receptions for 31 yards on six targets and playing on 79% of Washington's offensive snaps. If, in fact, both Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas came out of Monday night fine, or at least relatively fine, i.e. didn't get re-injured, didn't aggravate their injuries, uh, that's really good news, especially with Curtis Samuel, right? Because uh, his situation this season has been maddening. And you think about what's going on with those guys. Washington getting them back for this stretch run in the regular season is like Washington getting two big trade acquisitions or two big free agent acquisitions in the middle of the season. That could be huge for Washington in trying to make the playoffs. Also huge for Washington in trying to make the playoffs. Figures to be the play 
of Taylor Heineke. Uh, He has played really well during Washington's three-game winning streak. Now, I did think that the worst of his three performances in the three-game winning streak was the performance in the win over the Seahawks on Monday night, but that's a relative statement. Heineke in that game played well enough to win. Uh, Heineke on Wednesday afternoon did his weekly post-practice press conference. Here he was on if he feels as if he's playing his best football right now. Yeah, I do feel like I'm playing, um, you know, probably some of my best football I've ever played. And I think that's, you know, credit to, you know, the coaches and just got, you know, just really working hard and keeping the ball in our possession. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, when, you know, we like to take shots downfield. We like to get those big chunk plays, but if they're getting out of there, checking the ball down is just as good. Um, So, you know, as long as we keep getting first downs and scoring points, that's all that matters. And, yeah, the confidence now and how we feel now before, you know, our bye week is, you know, total 180. Um, we, we still had confidence during that four-game skid that we could be great, um, but it was just going out there and executing. And to come back after the bye against Tampa and doing it against them and building on that the last three weeks have been huge for us. Yeah, and I think that that's been huge for Heineke. Now, something that really stands out about Heineke during the three-game winning streak is his completion percentage. Heineke in the win over the Seahawks completed 27 of his 35 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of 77.14, which is excellent. Heineke during the three-game winning streak has completed 69 of his 89 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of 77.53. Now, completion percentage isn't everything, especially nowadays, with the modern pass-happy rules and quick passing games that teams employ. But completion percentage isn't nothing. Uh, I always look at a quarterback's completion percentage. Uh, Things like yards per pass attempt and ESPN's total QBR matter more, but completion percentage is worth looking at. Heineke on Wednesday on whether there have been any changes to Washington's passing game that have allowed him to have this sky-high completion percentage during the three-game winning streak. I don't think so. Um, I just think, you know, running the ball effectively um, just helps that play action even more. And then, you know, when you can run the ball well and you can play action well and get those guys up and hit them behind there and you mix in a couple quick games um, and a couple shots, uh, you know, the defense is, is kind of all over the place. They don't know what's coming. So, um, you know, it's just been a good, good three weeks. And I think uh, we can keep this thing rolling. Yeah, Taylor Heineke through week 12 is 12th among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in completion percentage at 67.2. But you heard Heineke in that cut credit Washington's running game as a major reason for his great completion percentage during the three-game winning streak. Ron Rivera on Wednesday on why Taylor Heineke's completion percentage during the three-game winning streak is so high. One of the things has been, you know, he's had time to, to set and find that guy. And I think a lot of it has to do with being able to run the ball successfully. You know, because then it really adds to the play action. It really adds to slowing down the pass rush as opposed to them just going all out. So that, I think, has really helped us, um, obviously, uh, especially with him. So right there was Ron Rivera crediting Washington's running game as a major reason for the Taylor Heineke completion percentage during the three-game winning streak being so good. And indeed, Washington has had a lot of running plays during the three-game winning streak. Antonio Gibson has totaled 72 carries during Washington's three-game winning streak. I don't dismiss what Taylor Heineke and Ron Rivera are saying, but as I talked about on Wednesday's show, 
Episode 198. The reason that Washington is running the football more is that the team is playing with leads. Uh, Washington running the ball so much lately is, in essence, a result of the three game winning streak, not the cause of the three game winning streak. There is very much a chicken and egg phenomenon happening here. Uh, there's also this. Well, it is true that Taylor Heineke has been much better this season on play action passes as opposed to non play action passes. It's also true that the quality of a team's running game has little, if anything, to do with the effectiveness of play-action passing for the team. Play-action passing in general is more efficient than non-play-action passing. So long as a defense believes that you might run the football, play-action improves your passing game, even if your running game isn't very good. Uh, This has been talked about in football analytics many times over the years. So, you know, we have some narratives here going on with the Washington football team three-game winning streak that, at least on this podcast, we are exposing. A, the reason that Washington is running the ball more is that the team is playing with leads, and thus Washington running the ball so much lately is, in essence, a result of the three-game winning streak, not the cause of the three-game winning streak. And B, while it is true that Taylor Heineke has been much better this season on play-action passes as opposed to non-play-action passes, it's also true that the quality of a team's running game has little, if anything, to do with the effectiveness of play-action passing for the team. But listen, none of this takes away from Washington's three-game winning streak. I'm saying these things only to make clear what the truth is. Truth versus fake news. We speak truth on this podcast. We do not spread fake news on this podcast. Uh, Look, there's no doubt that a quality running game only helps a quarterback. Uh, Here was Ron Rivera on Wednesday on if he believes that a coaching staff being committed to the running game makes things easier for the team starting quarterback. I do. I I think when you're running successfully, it it really does. It adds to being able to run good play action. And I think that's important. Play action is important. Again, though, the quality of a team's running game has little, if anything, to do with the effectiveness of play action passing for the team. That's not just an opinion. That's based on research. Uh, Here was Taylor Heineke on Wednesday on the importance of him having had this high-volume running game during the three-game winning streak. Yeah, it takes a lot of pressure off a lot of people. Um, Not just me, but again, the offensive line as well. Um, You know, that helps those... It, it kind of the D line can't just pin their ears back and go, you know. When when our our guys are kind of beating them up on the run game, and then again that it keeps their offense off the field, it gets our defense rested. So it's a it's a huge just team deal when you can run the ball. It helps everybody out, um, but especially myself. It's it's nice handing the ball off to AG and seeing him do his thing, and same thing with JD. So again, those guys up front they don't get a lot of credit, but. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing awesome right now. Yes, they are. Washington's offensive line has been excellent. More on a key reason for Washington's offensive line having done so well next segment. But let's do some more on Washington's starting quarterback, Taylor Heineke. So we talked about his tremendous completion percentage during the three-game winning streak. Also for Heineke during the three-game winning streak is him having five touchdown passes versus just one interception. Now, the one interception did come on Monday night. Uh, Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in a Taylor Heineke second quarter, second and nine shotgun interception to safety Jamal Adams as a deep pass went off safety Quandre Diggs, ricocheted into the air 
and then was caught by Adams. Ron Rivera on Wednesday on whether Taylor Heineke's interception in the win over the Seahawks was the result of a worthwhile risk. It was a good risk to take. Um, he was a little he, he was a little late on it, um, and and for good reason, um, you know. And unfortunately, uh, you know, Bobby Wagner rolled perfectly. I mean, as a middle linebacker, as a coach, linebacker coach, you watch a guy when you got to get got a guy going up the middle seam, and if you have an experienced guy like Bobby, all he has to do is roll and put himself in perfect body position, which he did. Um, it's going to force a high throw. And what happened on that was Taylor saw it and it caused him to hesitate a second and then try to get it over the top, which he did perfectly. But the unfortunate part is that little hesitation gave the safeties a chance to make the break and make the play. It was a good decision. Um, but as I said, you know, when you got a guy like Bobby Wagner rolling underneath and forcing that to happen, that's, that's, that's what great players can do. Great breakdown there by Ron of the Taylor Heineke second quarter interception on Monday night. Taylor Heineke, over 11 games this season, has 16 touchdown passes versus 10 interceptions. He, in Washington's six losses, has thrown eight interceptions. He, in Washington's five wins, has thrown just two interceptions. Ron Rivera, at his day after the game Zoom press conference on September 27th, famously said that he wanted Taylor Heineke to, quote, do things in more of a game manager way, end quote. If you remember that quote, Uh, We talked about that quite a bit. That became quite the thing, uh, Ron invoking the phrase game manager. Uh, That is a very incendiary phrase in football circles when it comes to talking quarterbacks. So Ron said this back on September 27th. That was the day after the loss at the Buffalo Bills in week three. Here was Ron on Wednesday on if he is seeing Taylor Heineke do a better job of being more of a game manager, i.e. making smarter decisions, taking checkdowns when they're the appropriate throw, etc. Very much so. Um, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things he's learning is that he doesn't always have to make the splash play, just make the smart play, which he did. And he's done that several times. And I think he's also learned the benefits of, of getting the ball in the, that, uh, those underneath guys' hands. I mean, whether it's a back coming to the backfield being Antonio or, or JD uh, or it, it being DeAndre on, on, you know, on, 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 or, or Adam Humphreys or Dax on, on a late drag or something um, and then let him catch it and run. Those have been good for us, and, and, and he's seeing the benefit of that, and he's learning these things. And, you know, this will come through experience. Again, you know, and I've said it before, I mean, you know, he's working on now what's going to be his 13th start. So a lot of positive things in terms of his growth. Yeah, good point by Ron. Uh, this Sunday at the Raiders will be just Taylor Heineke's 13th career NFL start, regular season and postseason. The big question with Taylor Heineke during him struggling during Washington's four-game losing streak in October was, were the struggles a function of that just being who he is and forever will be as an NFL quarterback? Or were the struggles growing pains from which he would grow? Well, right now, the latter appears to have been the case. And I, again, do stress that word appears. But, you know, you look at what he's doing right now, and it does feel like what we saw in October was the result of growing pains as opposed to that just being who he is and forever will be as an NFL quarterback. You know, Taylor Heineke has perhaps learned some lessons from some of those bad interceptions that he threw during the four-game losing streak in October. Heineke on Wednesday on being more okay with throwing checkdowns lately. I think that just, again, comes with a lot of experience. Um, And sometimes it's kind of the defense that they show and and stuff like that, but... um, 
but yeah, I, I would say, you know, like you just said, that, that has something to do with it as well. When you keep throwing, trying to fit balls in deep and they get picked and stuff like that, and you go back and watch on film that there's a guy wide open, you know, five yards down the field that can get you 10, 15 yards, uh, keep moving the chain, stuff like that. So, again, it's, it's there's that fine line of you want to be aggressive and, and take shots, but at the same time you want to be smart and not turn the ball over. So um, I feel like we're at a good, you know, level right now with that. All right. One more thing regarding Taylor Heineke. Uh, his escapability remains so impressive. You know, Heineke isn't necessarily racking up the rushing yardage, and he should have kept the football on at least one of those Antonio Gibson third and short fails in the third quarter on Monday night. Uh, but Heineke's escapability really is something else. The drive that resulted in his interception on Monday night, also included this play. A Taylor Heineke first and 10 three-yard shotgun play-action scramble on which he evaded two Seahawks, edge rusher Daryl Taylor, who was at Heineke's feet, and linebacker Benson Mayoa, who came charging in but whiffed on an attempted tackle thanks to Heineke ducking under Mayoa's left arm. Heineke on Wednesday on what he's seeing when he's pulling off one of his miracle escapes. I honestly can't give you a, an honest answer there. Um, when I'm back there and things are kind of breaking down, I think that's when instinct kind of comes comes through and uh, the feel of the game. So um, you know, I'm just trying to find a little hole to squeak through and, and get what I can. Um, but I think the, the play you're talking about was when I kind of ducked under number eight or ten. I forget who it was. Um, and you can't. You can't really coach that type of stuff. You don't do that in drills. I think it just kind of instinctly happens. So um, I guess it's just a, a little small gift I have. Yeah, Washington has not had a quarterback with Heineke's mobility since Robert Griffin III in 2012. We'll see, I guess, if Heineke eventually comes out with a tell-all book slamming the organization. By the way, speaking of the RG3 book, did you see what his wife tweeted on Wednesday. Quote, let's clear up a misconception about surviving Washington. Uh, In the book, Robert is not talking about other people's experiences with sexual harassment in Washington. He is talking about his own experience with sexual harassment in Washington. End quote. The intrigue grows even further. Uh, The book, by the way, not coming out until August 2022. So uh, grab a Snickers. This may take a while. For now, uh, no book for Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke's play is doing his talking, and he's playing well. Up next, much more on the Washington football team, including an in-depth look at Washington's offensive line coach, John Matsko. Is he Washington's best offensive line coach since Joe Bugle? I'll get to that and much more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We continue the Washington football team conversation off Washington on Wednesday, beginning the team's practice week for the Sunday afternoon's game at the Las Vegas Raiders at 4.05. So to me, the most impressive position group on the Washington football team this season has been the offensive line. Uh, The offensive line has been great despite having been ravaged by injury. And that word ravaged, I do believe is appropriate here. The starting right tackle, Samuel Cosme, did not play in four consecutive games due to an ankle injury, returned in the win at the Carolina Panthers in week 11, but then suffered a hip injury in the second quarter. So he missed four games, came back, and then in that return game suffered a different injury, and Cosby now is on the reserve injured list. Uh, Washington put him on that on Monday. Uh, The starting right guard, Brandon Sheriff, missed four consecutive games due to a knee injury. The starting center, Chase Roulier, is on the reserve injured list. Washington put him on that on November 2nd due to him having suffered a fractured left fibula and potentially having suffered ligament damage to his left ankle and the loss at the Denver Broncos in Week 8. Uh, Roulier's replacement, Tyler Larson, suffered a knee injury in the second quarter of the win at the Panthers, bringing Wes Schweitzer into the game to play center for Washington. But Wes Schweitzer then dealt with a right ankle issue, bringing Keith Ismail into the game to play center for Washington. Now, Larson was inactive for the 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. Uh, Wes Schweitzer was Washington's starting center for the game, but he then left the game due to an ankle injury, again bringing Keith Ismail into the game to play center for Washington. Uh, The left side of the offensive line has stayed healthy. Left tackle Charles Leno Jr., left guard Eric Flowers, and each of those guys has been really good, but the other three-fifths of Washington's offensive line has dealt with a lot in the way of injury. And yet, Washington's offensive line has been outstanding, and that's quantifiable. Washington, through Week 12, is number one in the NFL and ESPN's team run block win rate at 77%, and number three in the NFL and ESPN's team pass block win rate at 67%. And so all of this brings to mind Washington's offensive line coach, John Matsko, who clearly is doing an excellent job. And that's not surprising because John Matsko has an excellent reputation. John Matsko was the Carolina Panthers offensive line coach from 2011 through 2015 and running game coordinator from 2016 through 2019. So John Matsko worked with Ron Rivera for the entirety of his tenure as Panthers head coach. Ron was Panthers head coach from January 2011 
to December 2019. Matsko, prior to his time with the Panthers, served as an offensive line coach for the Phoenix Cardinals, New Orleans Saints, New York Giants, St. Louis Rams, Kansas City Chiefs, and Baltimore Ravens. And yes, I said Phoenix Cardinals. John Matsko has been in the NFL for so long, he was the offensive line coach for the Phoenix Cardinals, not the Arizona Cardinals. John Matsko is 70. Uh, Among the many good offensive linemen who John Matsko coached prior to coming to Washington, Panthers left guard Andrew Norwell, Uh, Panthers right tackle Darrell Williams, Panthers left guard Trey Turner, Panthers center Ryan Khalil, Chiefs guard Will Shields, Chiefs guard Brian Waters, Rams tackle Orlando Pace, Rams guard Adam Timmerman. That's quite the list of really good offensive linemen who John Matsko has coached. Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on John Matsko. Not that other coaches don't, but he cares. He cares beyond just, you know, them as football players. You know, he, 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 one of the things he does is he teaches. He teaches the game itself, but he also teaches some other interesting things about life. Um, um, a little secret, one of the things that he does is he has a book that he assigns to them every year during training camp, and they all have to read a specific chapter and then do a report on it. Yes, I've been in it when the guys have done reports, and it's been real interesting to listen and, and watch these guys. And it's, um, it, it's kind of cool. It really is. Um, they've, you know, they, they read a book um, by Admiral McRaven, Make Your Bed. Um, then they read another book called Chop Wood, Carry Water. Um, it's about learning to be comfortable when you're uncomfortable. I mean, there's life lessons and stuff like that. And he's not doing it to punish anybody as much as he's just trying to help these guys understand how this stuff fits in, 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 in your everyday life and how it fits in football. That, I think, is one of the unique things about Coach Matsko. Is, is it's, it's not just about coaching and, and demanding and stuff, but it's mentoring and teaching. And, and, you know, his wife was an educator, and I think that's helped him as well. Um, you know, just really a fascinating man. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I love who he is, and, and I love the fact that he's been with me going on 11 seasons now. So how about that? John Matsko makes Washington offensive linemen do book reports. How great is that? Book reports. You're back in the third grade when you play for John Matsko. But you know what? You more likely than not end up playing well when you play for John Matsko. Ron later in his Wednesday press conference was asked about how he came to work with John Matsko. Well, um, you go into this trying to figure out who you want as a, a line coach, and you'll, you'll, you'll have a list of names that are out there. A lot of times, a lot of those guys aren't available, but you have that wish list. And his name was always on the list. When I'd ask people, well, who would you hire? His name kept coming up. But he was in Baltimore at the time, and he wasn't available. And lo and behold, Baltimore decided they were going to make a, a change on the offensive side, and they started moving some coaches around, and he became available. John Harbaugh called me immediately because John and I, you know, we worked together on Andy's original staff. And he said, look, you know, we're doing some things and nothing against Coach. It's just, you know, we, we have a different, a different way we're going to do it on, on offense. He said, but I'd hire him again. 
and so that's all I needed was that kind of recommendation. Um, I called Coach Matsko immediately, and he agreed to come for an interview that, that same day. And when he got here for the interview, um, he basically took his his sport coat off, loosened his tie, rolled up his sleeves, and started showing me how he was going to coach our players. And I was convinced within a half hour of listening to him talk. And then he spent the rest of the, that, that evening and the next morning with our offensive coaches, uh, our coordinator, Rob Chazinski, who after his conversation with him told me, Coach, we need to hire him. We can't let him leave. And that's what we did. We hired him. So you hear what Ron Rivera is saying about John Matsko, and to me, you come away with a few takeaways as a Washington football team fan. Number one, John Matsko is a really good offensive line coach, and I was thinking about it. I mean, there's no supplanting the greatest offensive line coach in Washington history, and I think the greatest offensive line coach in NFL history, Joe Bugle. But it's quite possible that Washington right now has its best offensive line coach since Joe Bugle and John Matsko. Like, I don't think that that's a hot take. I think if you look at John Matsko's resume, you look at the job that he's already doing as Washington offensive line coach, it's very possible that John Matsko is Washington's best offensive line coach since the greatest of them all, Joe Bugle. Second takeaway, though, from what you hear from Ron Rivera regarding John Matsko is this. You very much get a sense of how much respect and admiration that Ron Rivera has for John Matsko. And compare that with the situation that we had with Washington's previous full-time head coach and his offensive line coach. Jay Gruden and Bill Callahan, they could not stand each other. Them working together was an arranged marriage set up by Bruce Allen. Bill Callahan was very much a Bruce Allen guy. Uh, You may recall they worked together with the Oakland Raiders, won an AFC championship together with the Oakland Raiders, that for the 2002 season. Uh, I have been told that Jay Gruden at one point wanted Bill Callahan gone, but Bruce would not allow that. Bruce insisted on the arranged marriage continuing. And then, of course, when Jay got fired as Washington head coach in October 2019, what happened? Bill Callahan became interim head coach. Uh, All things considered, did do a decent job as interim head coach, but Bill Callahan made it very clear that his way was a much better way than Jay Gruden's way. And I'm not here to litigate who was right and who was wrong, because I think, like in most situations, each guy was correct in some ways. My point is, we have gone from the toxicity, from the dysfunctional nature of the Jay Gruden-Bill Callahan dynamic to what we now have with Ron Rivera and John Matsko. And this, to me, is the kind of thing that you view as a sign of things being better now than they were back then. And that doesn't mean that everything has been fixed and everything is hunky-dory. But, you know, do the compare and contrast. The Jay Gruden-Bill Callahan situation versus the Ron Rivera, John Matsko situation. Two very different situations in terms of the head coach and the offensive line coach getting along and being on the same page. John Matsko is doing some job as Washington offensive line coach, just like he did a really good job last season as Washington offensive line coach. Ron later in his presser on Wednesday talked about some of the lessons 
from the book reports that Washington offensive linemen do for John Matsko. I think the realization that, that little things matter. I mean, like in, in, in that book, Admiral McRaven writes about making your bed and the discipline that it takes to do certain things. And, you know, those are the kinds of lessons. And the other one, you know, uh, chop wood, carry water. You know, the, the, the discipline of learning to be comfortable when you're uncomfortable, you know, at certain tasks. And the repetition that certain tasks build muscle memory. Um, you know, so he, 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 and he does it very, very, very uh, methodically in terms of the books he's, he's picked. Um, he's given me several copies of the different books that he's had, and I've read them all. Um, and the ones that he's given me. And, and there really are life lessons. Everything from, you know, leadership lessons to, you know, lessons on, on, on an individual life. And, and they're, they're, you know, to me, if, if a coach gave me something like that, uh, you know, that, that to me just shows he cares. And I think that's important. Yes, it is. Now, while we don't know this with certainty, I do think that it's safe to say that John Matsko plays a role in scheming up Washington's running game. Uh, Most offensive line coaches play major roles in scheming up teams' running games. So with all of this talk right now about Washington running the ball more and Washington clobbering opponents in time of possession during the three-game winning streak, John Matsko deserves credit for that stuff too. Uh, This is Ron Rivera on Wednesday on the process of coming up with a run game plan for each game. Well, really looking at the fronts that they're in, primarily then you look at uh the coverages that they use because the coverages dictate whether it's a seven-man box or an eight-man box and then you look at the tendencies as far as down and distance uh is concerned uh you look at obviously where you are in the game and then the other part also is is the personnel matchups do you feel good about certain guys blocking certain guys All right. As you would expect a lot goes into coming up with a run game plan as for who is coming up with the run game plan? Well, you know, we have specific coaches that work specifically on the run game. Um, someone works specifically on the, on the uh, blocking patterns. Uh, and then the other part will be some of them work on um, really the back sets, the formation, stuff like that. And then they come together and collaborate as to what fits best. Um, you know, Scotty will, will listen. And, and, and at the end of the day, it is his ultimate decision. But, you know, when you have so many voices of, 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 of experience in that room, it's, it's very beneficial to have that type of group. Yeah, Ron pretty clearly did not want to reveal who does what, but just listening to Ron right there, John Matsko pretty clearly plays a role, maybe slash probably a substantial role in scheming up Washington's running game. Now, in terms of who is primarily running the ball for Washington, the answer, of course, is Washington has a two-back attack in Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. You could even say a three-back attack with Jarrett Patterson getting some carries as well. Ron, in his later years as Panthers head coach, had a one-back attack with the great Christian McCaffrey. Here was Ron on Wednesday on him as Washington head coach having a multiple running back approach with the running game. For the most part, what, what we've you know what, what what we've done prior to getting Christian. We always had a two-back tandem. You know, we, we had D'Angelo Williams and, and Jonathan Stewart for such a long time. And then we had Jonathan, we had, we had Fozzie Whitaker, a, a, young, a young back that, that came out of Texas who was a very good change-up to Jonathan. Um, and then when, you know, Fozzie got hurt and, and he was slowing down, we, we had to find a, a, another weapon. And, and we found Christian uh, and Jonathan, um, Jonathan's last year. And, 
after that, pretty much when Christian took off. Um, you know, he, he, he was short of being a thousand thousand guy, and then the next year he was a thousand thousand guy for us. So, um, it, it, you know, having one back really is, is tough because you don't want that guy to really be the focus. You want to have a good rotational system. And right now, I think that's kind of where we are. We have a good rotational system. I like the three young men that we have carrying the ball for us. They're, they're all versatile, they all do their, their own thing. Um, you know, and they have their, their characteristics and their traits that, that fit what we do. Yeah, there's no one way that works so much better than other ways in terms of who runs the football. One-back attacks work, two, and even three-back attack works. It's interesting, though, when is the last time that Washington had a true one-back attack? Uh, You have to go back a ways at this point, right? I mean, probably Alfred Morris at his peak of 2012 through 2014, and that's a while ago now. But when we talk about the macro theme of the culture of the Washington football team, one of the major parts of the culture of the Washington football team in terms of the actual football is the coaching staff. And does Washington have a professional and high-level coaching staff? And a guy like John Matsko makes you feel like the answer is yes. All right, let's get to some non-Washington football team items right now on this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. It has been an up and down last few weeks for the Wizards. Uh, They, since their 10-3 and start to the season, have been really good at times, but also have been not so good at times. Uh, But the Wizards on Wednesday night did get a nice win. Uh, Wiz improved to 14-8 with a 115-107 win over the Minnesota Timberwolves at Capital One Arena. So the Timberwolves came into the game 11-10 on the season, but the Wizards came away with the win, overcame a seven-point third-quarter deficit, won the second half 62-50, and never trailed in the fourth quarter. Uh, Some really good defense by the Wizards in this game. Wiz held the Timberwolves to just 19 points in the fourth quarter. Wiz held the Timberwolves to just 11 of 37 on threes. So this was another game in which the Wizards defended the three well. Wizards held D'Angelo Russell to one of 12 on threes. And when it came to Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, look, Carl Anthony Towns is an NBA superstar. Uh, He got his. Wizards did have issues with Carl Anthony Towns, aka Cat. Uh, Cat went two of four on threes, finished with 34 points and 10 rebounds. But to me, when it comes to superstars like Carl Anthony Towns, you know that those players are going to get theirs. The idea is Can you at least make things somewhat difficult for those players? Can you at least make it so that those players have at least somewhat inefficient nights? And that was the case, I thought, with the Wizards and Carl Anthony Towns on Wednesday night. Wizards held him to just 9 of 21 on twos. Uh, Kyle Kuzma did the bulk of the work in defending Carl Anthony Towns. And all things considered, did an admirable job. I mean, again, the Wizards certainly did not shut down Carl Anthony Towns, but at least it wasn't super easy for Carl Anthony Towns in this game. Now, for the Wizards offensively in this game, so this was another rough game for the Wizards from a standpoint of shooting the three. Wiz went just 10 of 32 on threes, but the Wizards went 35 of 59 on twos, and the Wizards outscored the Timberwolves in the paint 68-44. How about that? Wizards were plus 24 in the paint, totaled 68 paint points, I mean, that to me is really impressive considering that the Timberwolves have Carl Anthony Towns and that the Wizards remain without two key bigs in Rui Hachimura 
and Thomas Bryant. Uh, each guy's yet to play this season. Rui, due to personal reasons. Bryant, due to recovery from a partially torn left ACL that was suffered last January. Although Rui was on the Wizards bench on Wednesday night. Uh, that was good to see. Wizards on Wednesday night also were without backup point guard Aaron Holiday due to a non-COVID-19 related illness. But the Wizards won, and the biggest reason to me that the Wizards won in terms of individuals was Montrez Harrell. Uh, Montrez Harrell on Wednesday night had another big game this season. Montrez Harrell in just 21 minutes, 12 seconds off the bench, had 27 points, and on 11 of 12 shooting, all 12 of his field goal attempts were twos, but how about that? 27 points on 11 of 12 shooting. And he could have scored more points because he went just five of eight on free throws. Uh, Harrell also had five rebounds and three assists versus two turnovers. But 21-12 off the bench, 27 points on 11 of 12 shooting to go with five boards and three assists versus two turnovers. Not bad. Uh, Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Montrez Harrell. I've said it before. He was sixth man of the year for a reason. It's not like this is unique for him. He's he's done this with other teams. His ability to come in and change the complexion of the game through uh, the hustle plays, the scoring, the energy, the rebounding, whatever it is, um, he has an impact. Yeah, you know, this was actually a bounce-back game for Montrez Harrell. He and the Wizards' previous game, that 116-99 loss at the San Antonio Spurs on Monday night, did not score in double figures for the first time this season. Another major force for the Wizards on Wednesday night was Daniel Gafford. And boy, is Daniel Gafford on some kind of roll right now. Gafford on Wednesday night in just 26 minutes, 48 seconds as a starter, 18 points on 7-10 shooting, 10 rebounds, including four offensive boards and three blocks. Gafford has been so good lately. The 101-99 win at the Oklahoma City Thunder this past Friday night. Gafford in 26-57 as a starter, had a career-high eight blocks, also finished with seven points on three of five shooting and eight rebounds. The 120-114 win at the Dallas Mavericks this past Saturday night. Gafford in just 27-26 as a starter, 14 points on six of seven shooting, 10 rebounds, including four offensive boards, three assists versus no turnovers in two blocks. And even in that 17-point loss at the Spurs on Monday night, Gafford was good. Uh, Gafford was a bright spot for the Wizards in that game. He, in just 22.05 as a starter, had 11 points on 5 of 7 shooting, 10 rebounds, including three offensive boards, and three assists versus one turnover. The Wizards in Montrez Harrell and Daniel Gafford have not only two really productive big men, but also two really productive big men who've been efficient. Like, each guy's per-minute production has been terrific. One of the reasons that I bring up how many minutes these guys play is because I think that that matters. Like there's a difference between scoring 20 points in 40 minutes of playing time and scoring 20 points in 20 minutes of playing time. How much NBA players play in games matters. Like if you're trying to assess, okay, what did this guy do in this game? How is this guy doing? The playing time is a big part of that guy's performance. And I think in Harold and Gafford, what jumps out isn't just what the guys are doing, but in how few minutes the guys are doing uh, what they're doing. Uh, Bradley Beal in this win over the Timberwolves. Uh, well, he had another bad shooting night. Uh, Beal on Wednesday night, just one of five on threes, just seven of 15 on twos, and just two of four on free throws. But Beal, again, did do other things. Uh, this has been kind of the thing with Bradley Beal this season. He's not scoring at close to a league-leading pace, but he is contributing 
in other meaningful ways. And he's part of an overall Wizards operation that Wright has been so good this season. Again, Wizards now 14 and 8 on the season. Uh, Beeline Wednesday night, 19 points, 9 assists versus 3 turnovers, 6 rebounds, including 3 offensive boards, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 10 in 38 minutes, 4 seconds as a starter. West Jr. during his postgame press conference on Beal not scoring a ton, but contributing in other ways. I think when, when you're winning and, you know, you have 34 assists as a team, that's a heck of a number. Uh, so there's no way to mask that. That means everybody is moving the ball. And obviously we're stepping up and making shots. So uh, that helps. But I think that has to be our recipe. Now, whether he's the benefactor of it or he's the one, you know, dishing them out, I don't think it matters. If, if we're making the right reads, we're winning games or playing the right way, you know, I, I'll live with it. And hopefully he can too. Yeah, for now, he certainly should be living with it. Uh, his team is 14-8. and eight. Uh, Speaking of guards who do things beyond score, Spencer Dinwiddie. So he barely scored on Wednesday night. Dinwiddie went just one of seven on three, scored just three points in 31 minutes, nine seconds as a starter. But Dinwiddie had 11 assists versus one turnover and six rebounds. Uh, I don't know that you sign up for that, Spencer Dinwiddie going one of seven on threes and scoring just three points, but you certainly sign up for 11 assists versus one turnover and six rebounds from Spencer Dinwiddie. Also, Davies Bertans finally got going on Wednesday night. So Davies entered this game in uh, quite the rut. Uh, Davies had gone just one of 19 on threes in four games since coming back from a 10-game absence caused by a sprained left ankle. But Davies on Wednesday night, 3 of 4 on threes, finished with 15 points and 3 rebounds in 16-18 off the bench. West Jr. during his post-game press conference on Davies having a nice night. You know what? It, it's not for the lack of effort. He's been trying to get going. And, you know, we've said it all along. If he, that first one goes in, you know, teams start to relax a little bit. All right? He's not going to press. Um Man, we have the utmost confidence that he's going to make that next shot. And so it's great to see it go in. And, you know, I think it, it does wonders for, for your offense. Yes, it does. Uh, we should also mention Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. Uh, he on Wednesday night went three of six on threes. Did go just two of eight on twos, but finished with 14 points, four rebounds, including three offensive boards and two steals in 27-12 as a starter. Nice job by the Wizards in this win over the Timberwolves. Next up for the Wiz, home to the Cleveland Cavaliers, Friday night at 7. All right, so a good win for the Wizards on Wednesday night, but an ugly loss for Maryland basketball on Wednesday night. There are two very clear themes that are emerging with the Terrapins this season. One, their games are close. Two, the games are ugly. And both of those themes were on display on Wednesday night. Maryland fell to 5-3 and three with a 62-58 loss to Virginia Tech at Xfinity Center in College Park in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, Maryland at this game celebrated the enshrinement of the late Len Bias into the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame on November 21st in Kansas City. Very nice to see this. Uh, Bias became just the fourth Terrapin to be represented in the hall. You'd think that there would be more than just four Terps in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, but that's not the case. Uh, Len Bias, Tom McMillan, and head coaches Lefty Drizel and Gary Williams. Uh, that's it in terms of Maryland basketball representation in the National Collegiate 
Basketball Hall of Fame. But Maryland on Wednesday night celebrated Len Bias in a number of ways, had an on-court recognition of the Bias family, had a giveaway of replica golden Bias jerseys to the first 4,000 students in attendance. I love those gold jerseys. Uh, Those are such good-looking jerseys whenever Maryland busts them out. So all of that was really nice. But the Terps were not so nice in terms of the shooting on threes. Uh, The Terps, again, were terrible on threes. Uh, Terps got totally outdone on threes in this game. Maryland went just one of 13 on threes. And the Terps allowed Virginia Tech to go nine of 20 on threes. And that, in a lot of ways, was the game. Uh, You know, the Terps do not make threes, period. Uh, Maryland now this season is shooting 26.8% on threes. In today's game, you shoot 26.8% on threes. I mean, good luck. You know, you could argue it's a minor miracle that Maryland is 5-3 and three on the season. For all of these transfers who Mark Turgeon landed this past offseason, nobody on this team is consistently shooting the three. Uh, Remember the Terps last game, the 63-55 loss to Louisville in the Bahamas on Saturday morning. Uh, The Terps in that game, just four of 14 on threes. And the Terps struggled uh, in other ways in that game. Went to 16 of 38 on twos and got demolished on the boards. The Terps got out-rebounded by Louisville 51-25, including having just two offensive rebounds to Louisville 17. Now, Maryland inside on Wednesday night was good. Uh, The Terps lost on Wednesday night despite dominating the Hokies inside. Terps went 22 of 42 on twos, held the Hokies to 14 of 40 on twos, and the Terps outscored the Hokies in the paint 38-20. So all of that was good. But again, when you make one three and your opponent makes nine threes, you're going to have a hard time winning the game. And, you know, Maryland was in this game but down the stretch, the Hokies executed, Maryland did not, and the Terps ended up losing. Terps also had just six assists versus 15 turnovers. That's bad. Six assists versus 15 turnovers. The Hokies had 15 assists versus eight turnovers. Maryland is just not a good offensive team. Point blank period, and this has been the case year in and year out under head coach Mark Turgeon. Uh, Eric Ayala on Wednesday night, 0-3 three on threes, 1-6 on twos, in 33 minutes as a starter. The Rhode Island transfer, the point guard, Fats Russell, 0-3 on threes, 2-7 on twos in 38 minutes as a starter. Dante Scott, 1-4 on threes, did go 4-5 on twos, did finish with 11 points and 7 rebounds in 34 minutes as a starter. And then there is the saga of Kudis Wahab, the Georgetown transfer, the 6'11 big man. So I've been talking on this podcast about what's been going on with Kudis Wahab. He's starting, but he's just not playing that much. Uh, Wahab on Wednesday night played for just 25 minutes as a starter. Now, he did deal with foul trouble on Wednesday night. He finished with four fouls, but he was really good when he did play. He had 18 points on seven of eight shooting and seven rebounds. And there have been other games this season in which he didn't play that much and did not deal with foul trouble. But how about this on Wednesday night? Former George Washington head coach Mike Lonergan, who was an assistant at Maryland under Gary Williams for one season, the 2004-2005 season, tweeted the following, quote, hopefully by Christmas, Turge will realize that Wahab is his best player and play him more minutes and give him the ball every time down the court. It is mind-boggling that he only averages 19 minutes a game. I just don't get it. At Terrapin Hoops, 
have a great center sitting on bench. End quote. How about that? Mike Lonergan publicly criticizing Mark Turgeon. You know, that's a no-no in the minds of a lot of head coaches. Coach on coach crime like that. Uh, I promise you that the Turge does not like that. The Turge is sensitive to stuff like that. Heck, take a listen to this exchange during Mark Turgeon's postgame press conference on Wednesday night. You said after the Bahamas, you're feeling better about where you yeah. are. Does does night like this expose more issues than no. you thought you had, or no. you still feel okay? About no, it? I, I feel better. We come on, guy. We're one for thirteen. I don't know what we shot. We had forty. We scored forty points in the paint. That's a lot. Okay, we didn't get to the foul line enough. It was very physical in there. Um, we rebounded better. Yeah, for the last three days, I had to hear about what a bad rebounding team we are. We still not great, but we out rebounded them. We were better in the second half. It's always something, right? So we had 15 turnovers against a team that doesn't pressure. Really good defensive team. Extremely well coached, but they don't pressure, right? We had three on the break in the second half, right? So we scored on the break. We got the lead. The crowd was into it. So you're, you're telling the guys in the timeout, hey, on the break, just make good decisions, right? You don't want to stop running because we had the crowd into it. Well, we didn't make great decisions all the time. And then, you know, Eric shot from 28 feet is like a turnover. So um, I didn't think we panicked offensively. We just weren't very good uh, there at the end. And then, you know, we've had leads and we just, you know, end of the Louisville game, our defense wasn't good enough. End of today's game, our defense wasn't good enough. Yeah, you get these like stream of consciousness answers from Mark Turgeon at his post-game press conferences. You can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I had some angry fellow Maryland basketball fans emailing me on Wednesday night. Email from Jerry Moore. Al, I watched another very mediocre game for my Terps versus VT. Turgeon simply hasn't been able to put together a complete team. Every year, they are missing something. This year, they simply can't shoot beyond the arc. Why doesn't he recruit shooters in what's become a three-point game? Why? Email from Michael King on Wednesday night. Subject, Maryland basketball speaks for itself. Nothing ever changes with Turgeon's teams. And on Len Bias night, wow. Look, it's early, okay? So many things can change in a college basketball season from November slash December into February and March. Uh, But I'm with you guys. It's maddening watching Maryland do offense. And again, with all of the transfer acquisitions that you don't have anyone on this team who can consistently shoot the three is a problem. You know, even Georgetown got itself a three-point marksman in the offseason via the transfer portal. That guy, Caden Rice, the graduate transfer from the Citadel, he's not on every game, but when he's on, he's quite on, and he's already had three really impressive games from a three-point shooting standpoint for the Hoyas so far this season. Next up for the Terps, uh, their Big Ten opener, home to Northwestern, Sunday at noon. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show will be episode 200, 200, a monumental show, a monumental football Friday installment of the pod. I will have for you in-depth preview of the five and six Washington football team's game at the six and five Las Vegas Raiders this Sunday afternoon at 4.05, including the best of what Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio have to say 
during their post-practice press conferences on Thursday. Remember, Jack used to be the Raiders head coach. This is a homecoming game of sorts for old JDR, although this game is taking place in Las Vegas, not in Oakland, but you get the idea. I will also have for you my rhyming keys for a Washington win at Vegas, and I'll react to whatever happens in the Thursday nighter, a big Thursday nighter, from a Washington football team perspective, the 7-4 and four and NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys at the 5-6 and six New Orleans Saints, a game with big playoff implications for Washington. Also, a postgame, Thursday night's game for the Capitals. Caps will host the Chicago Blackhawks Thursday night at 7 to begin a four-game homestand and attempt to rebound from that hideous collapse in Tuesday night's 5-4 loss at the Florida Panthers. Caps in that game blowing a 4-1 third period lead. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. And the Orioles again in the win column. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.